Welcome to This Week in the 90s, brought to you by the original 1990s football podcast. We don't need BBC Premier League World to cover us. We know we're an original 90s football podcast here for you with This Week in the 90s. Yes, thank you very much for downloading and joining us as always for another slice of 90s football action. I'm here on a very special day. We're recording this in the afternoon, which is different as always. We usually do a nighttime shift, but we're in the afternoon. But it's a very special afternoon because it's one of my guests' guests. I always say guests, regulars, birthdays. I should feel like I should play Stevie Wonder at this point. Maybe I'll put that in on the edit. Happy birthday, Mr. Matthew Christ. Hang on a minute. Oh, we you hear that? that? Pear cider? That's, that, that's, that's the noise of me with a fresh can of pear cider in my hand. Thank you well, very much. And cheers, everybody. If you deserve it on a day like this, even on his birthday, he's talking 90s football. Yeah, it's never never a day off for me, mate. Never a day. Uh, happy thirtieth. Thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, I, uh, a child of the nineties, you could say, through and through. Yeah, exactly. And and you've been out every night this week, pretty much celebrating, even with Roy Evans. Yeah, I um, I haven't been out every night this week with Roy Evans, but I've been out. I was be out good. last night. Yeah, I was out. I was lucky enough to be asked along to the uh, launch of a new book by. Uh, Peter Hooten of the Farm Fame, uh, 90s band. Um, he's written a book called The Boot Room Boys, all about um, well, the boot room, funny enough, at Anfield. Shankly, Paisley, Fagan, Roy Evans, all that. Um, and it's and it's great. It's fascinating. I went to the launch last night, and I don't care what your footballing allegiances are. It's just great to listen to people like that talk about stories about great names and characters and players and how... And how football was, and uh, yeah, I sat there, had a good couple of hours with them yesterday, and uh, listening, just basically listening to them talk and swap stories, and it was uh, it was an absolute pleasure. And um, yeah, former I, guest I, I of the show. I recommend the book. Yeah, former guest yeah. of the show as well, Roy Evans. Go back into yeah, the archive. He's a, he's a top lad. He's a lovely, lovely man, and um, I've been fortunate enough to be in his company a couple of times. Not we're obviously not mates or anything, but I've, I've met him a couple of times, and he's just a real charming guy, and he loves chatting to you whether you you know he knows <coughs> we've spoken about United we've spoken about Liverpool we talk about everything it's not even though he's a Liverpool man through and through he's just a really interesting fascinating guy to talk to and to listen to and uh yeah top man top man and Peter Hooten's not bad either you say you're not mates but we all know you're besties with Elton Wellsby and even his was his brother wishing you a happy birthday on Twitter today no that was that is Elton Elton's real name is Roger oh has he changed his um no his his, his, his on Facebook he's uh Roger Wellsby, because that's oh. obviously his real name. Uh, his middle name's Elton, and he Elton's um, better. When he went to uh, yeah, he went to an interview with was it the uh, local paper or the, I think it was Radio City here in Liverpool, and someone said, "Oh, your middle name's Elton. Well, why don't you call yourself Elton? Because it'll make you a lot, you know, it'll stand out from the crowd." And he and that's what he did, and you know, all these years on, we're still talking about him. No, well, but we, we really love him on real here. name Roger. Yeah, well, we love on him here. We also love our other regular... He's, it's not his birthday, and hopefully the postman's not coming as well. Mr. Tangent himself from Eleven Sports. How you doing, Joel? I'm all right, man. I'm good. The postman's already been. You'll be pleased to know. Oh, that's good. Yeah, uh, no, no deliveries I've had today. A, I've, had a, I've, had, I've started buying my Christmas presents. Well done. Nice and yes. early. So yeah. yeah, well, you know, I, I want to get it done. I don't think I'm going to go home for Christmas... So, you know, we're, uh, I'm getting everything sorted out now, so I've got more money for the demon drink. Yeah, you're trying to convince everyone that you're organised, but really it's just because you're cheap, isn't it? That's what it is. <laughs> it's is not because it, I'm it, cheap, no, it's because I Black Thursday money. or I'd Black sooner, Friday or something? I'd sooner have money at Christmas rather than spending money to, get, to buy presents for my goon friends. That's, you know, that's, that's very true. Right. You keep telling yourself that, mate, don't worry about it. <laughs> I just keep telling myself I've got friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've just decided that we're going to organise an AK-90s Christmas 
drink up. So we're saving all our money for that, aren't we? So that that's well, that I'll have, we'll have to. If it, yeah, if it's in London, it, I'll have to because. Uh, it's about six pound a pint last time I saw you guys, isn't it? Well, we go to that lovely uh, watering hole that we found in Camberwell. That was cheaper, wasn't it? Well, yeah. Well, it was. They were very friendly, and they didn't actually charge us the drink. So, uh, yeah, let's go back there, shall we? <laughs> uh, anyway, we'll, we'll, yeah, surely there'll be photos of that very soon on the Twitter feed of us uh, enjoying the Christmas festivities um, between the boys. Um, but let's talk nineties football with this week in the nineties. Um, thank you to anyone who listened to the last show. We went on a bit long. And we went on a few tangents last time out, but I think most of you enjoyed it. So uh, thank you very much. Um, uh, the Canoe event is this Sunday. Um, if you're listening, we're recording this on the Friday. And if you're listening to this before Sunday, you still want tickets. It's at Barnet, uh, the, the Hive Ground, loads of legends, Premier League legends versus African legends for the Canoe Cup. In uh, it's all the money's going to his heart foundation. So if you're around, fancy watching a few legends this Sunday, um, go for it. Uh, tickets are still available. The details are, are, are they're on the Twitter feed somewhere. But if you just Google, it's a bit much name it naming it after himself isn't it well if you, you know did... i would i would make the joel cup <laughs> i'd play in the joel cup <laughs> would you yeah what kind of what what kind of cup would it be do you think what like, a, like a, what kind like of a, trophy well i was thinking it'd be like a pint mug cup or a tea cup or i just got did you, I, I went out and i went out on monday night and i've got a really unusual new pint pot that i stole from pub <laughs> it's kind of a lot wider than normal and a lot shorter mm. very <laughs> unusual there's a picture oh, of me with it on my on my Twitter feed, on my Instagram. Oh, is that? I saw that picture. Is that what that was motioning to? Is you stole the the mug from Tut Pub? Yeah, from Pub. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now known as the uh, Joel Cup. The Joel Cup. Yeah, that that can be the one people can. Uh, I've just said I would name a cup after myself, and now we're already in the process of naming a cup after me. So yeah. I'm things get done quickly on this podcast. See, we're now yeah. organising the Joel Cup for next summer when there's no Euros. Yeah, we'll do that. And um, we'll get some okay. 90, get some nineties legends involved. Yeah, I'm already in the process of doing it. Let's get that sorted. Um, talking of nineties legends, that's a nice segue. Let's go to the 26th of September, 1995. Yeah, it's Man United, but everybody loves a goal-scoring goalkeeper, and this is Pierre Michael and his famous header um, in a really random kind of non-Man United game for that era, because we're used to the big European nights at Man United, especially in the late nineties. Um, this one was against Rota Volgograd in the UEFA Cup. Um, Matthew, obviously, I'm coming to you as the Man United fan. Not a good night outside of that goal, really, was it? No, and <clears throat> I'm going to have to get a new bingo card printed because what I'm going to say here, I said, I said last week, and I think the week before, just goes to show United's, uh, I would say, lack of ambition in Europe, and yet another disappointing campaign for United in Europe, despite being the, the dominant force that they were here in the Premier League they didn't half struggle away uh, well home and away against teams in Europe and this this was another classic um, classic example of that 2-0 oh, um, down after half an hour uh, Old Trafford yeah yeah and how many times did that seem to happen they, you know it always seemed to go, get caught cold by these teams I don't know whether they didn't prepare for it or they didn't expect I don't know I don't know if there was a sort of an ignorance about uh, European opposition um, do remember this game but Famously, because the away game, I think United took 78 fans, and it's the lowest ever United really? away following ever ever recorded, apparently. Oh. Um, well, until well, I that's... looked into it, I thought they were a Norwegian team, until I actually looked into this and realised they were Russian. For all these years, for some reason, I just thought they were Norwegian, but that was to Russia then, I assume. Well, I think the name's in the, the clues in the name, Volgograd. I, I know, I don't know. I the thought the they were quite... My geography is normally quite good, but I, for some Unless reason... the river Volga runs from yeah. Russia to Sweden. No, I don't know. But, um, 
yeah, I remember it being a real, again, we spoke about this the other week. I mean, what didn't we talk about the other week? Because we were on air for about two hours. But um, you seem to get these names pop up in Europe that you just, I suppose you do in the Europa League. But, um, you know, now you're so used to now playing your, your staple teams in Europe, or United are and all the big clubs are. And to get a draw like this was a real into the unknown. I remember the draw coming out and people going, oh, how are we going to get there? And how, where is it? And there was a, all kinds of um, red tape involved, hence why so few fans made the trip to the away leg. But, um, but yeah, the home leg, very memorable indeed. Obviously went 2-0 down, a classic sort of Palace to Bruce mix-up in, in one of the goals and, and United caught cold and then a, and a, a pot shot, I think, wasn't it, for the second to go 2-0 up. And um, the, the big, the key moment really about this was obviously everyone knew United were going to go out, but up until this point, United had never lost at home in Europe. Mm. And um, as much as uh, Peter Schmeichel's goal was momentous for, well, for one the fact the goalkeeper scored, but two, it kept United's unbeaten um, record at home in Europe going. Scant consolation, really, as it turned out, but it was quite a, a proud record back then. And um, I think because of this goal, doesn't in the final in '99, doesn't um, Schmeichel go up for a corner and uh, Big Ron Atkinson says he, he scored in Europe before, you know? And I think that's, I think it's this goal he's talking about. Well, so, yeah, uh, I think it's yeah. the only one he did. I think he scored for Sporting Lisbon, I think. But yeah, he's, United he's take goal. Penalties, didn't yeah. I think he'd, um, but yeah, for United, he would be remembered for this goal, even though you could argue it was no own, own goal, wasn't it? I mean, it was, it was, I suppose it was going on target, but it took a hefty uh, deflection and also deflection. Get, I'm not so sure if he went over the line at first look because you wanted the old Premier yeah. League kind of what is it called the goal, the goal line technology, but didn't have it back in the day. Um, Joe, do you remember the goal scorer? Do you love a goal scoring goalkeeper, Joe? Yeah, I, I, I mean, who's the other ones who we remember? Jimmy Glass, obviously. obviously. Yeah. Um, Shalivar. Uh, on LinkedIn. Did you ever talk to him on LinkedIn? No, I didn't. It's something I need to. When, when the anniversary comes around, maybe we'll get him, we'll get in touch and we can talk well, to him there. That's the season, isn't it? When you need, when you need to talk to him. Then, but his story is really interesting. Um, but yeah, I can't, I can't remember, really remember any any more apart from that. Are you, you going to surprise me with a list now? Ash? Is that what you just said? Well, the yeah, I, I, I remember Steve Grizovich scoring a goal oh, from okay. a goal kick. Um, and um, Pat Jennings scored one famously for Tottenham against United. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. When he's from his own area, though, that one, wasn't yeah, it? Paul Robson yeah, Paul Robson did that, didn't he, later? In, or was it Ben Foster? Which way round was it, if I remember? Well, Paul Robson scored from a header for Leeds in the 2000s. Um, I think the 90s one, everyone would go to his um, Luis Chalavert for Paraguay. who used to take free kicks and penalties for, for the national team. But I don't, and I think he actually scored some other goals as well. But he's obviously well known with being the goal-scoring goalkeeper. But, I mean, the amount of times that you see goalkeepers go up at the end of games, the the ratio to goals isn't many, but he re- Schmeichel rose like a salmon, I suppose they used to say on this one, didn't he, Joe? It's, a, it's some header, isn't it? Oh, God, yeah. Power. I, th- I thought it was good. I mean, I remember watching the game. It was on a Thursday night. I seem to remember it being on BBC One for some reason. I've got that really locked in my head. And just, you know, it, it's... It's one of those classic games, isn't it, that you expect the English team just to roll over this team you've never heard of, and of course they go in and they be a bit cocky and they underestimate everything, and the next thing you know they get knocked out, which happened, you know, as Matthew says, all so many times in the 1990s. Yeah, I did. They did. Yeah. And you mentioned that record, uh, Matthew, before. It was a 56-game, 40-year record. Do you know when it went? Do you know when that record uh, actually you, went? You know what? I'm just I, as I said that, I was thinking, yeah, I should because uh, I mean, bear in mind, I don't think you know teams didn't play, didn't seem to play in Europe as much as they do now. So it probably um, it probably wasn't as an impressive record as 
as we thought at the time. But no, put me out of my misery because I know I know this game when you tell me. It weren't much longer. 1996 group stage, one nil loss to Fenerbahce. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So been the following, yeah, it would have been the following season, yeah, in the group stage of the yeah. uh, the champion. It just it, it just shows the difference, doesn't it? I mean, it seems then it just seemed to be so. It was almost a given that you'd win your home games in Europe and and, and the away teams would just come over and get rolled over, and that just doesn't seem to be doesn't seem to be the case now, does it? With them. The modern game, shall we say? I mean, it's just the big, clubs, the big clubs just expect to win everywhere yeah. they go. You know, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Juventus probably expect to win in every single ground they go to. You know, or, or at least get a point. Yeah, but know, but it, but just but now, I mean, you said then you know, everyone expects United to roll these teams over, which they absolutely did. But you completely didn't look at the opposition. I mean, now if if a Champions League game took place and it was United against. I don't know, someone like Ludogrets or whatever. Yes, United would be favourites, but there would be an element of people would know who those players were. They'd have a clue about, they'd know a few names and there would be an awareness. Whereas then it was just nobody knew who these teams were. So there was a bit of a, an arrogance about it. And uh, I think that's kind of gone. I think the Champions League and, and players moving from country to country and playing in different leagues, I think there's an awareness now. A bit like when a World Cup takes place. We all know who these players are. Whereas 30 years ago, if you watched... Um, Mexico against Argentina in a World Cup game, you wouldn't know who half of them were. Whereas now we're all, yeah. we're all familiar with these players. So I think that, that was very much the case in European football as well. There was a, a bit of a blind loyalty, really, to the to the English team, which over the years has, has, has crumbled away now. I think we give a lot of teams a lot more respect um, than we did, and, and rightfully so. Mm, yeah, I know you're right. Uh, just to tie by on this then, the goals from Volgograd, I'm going to try and pronounce these, Vladimir Nygras and Oleg Vernaninikov. Uh, Paul Scholes scored for United and then Schmeichel's header made it 2-2, but it wasn't enough and the Red Devils were knocked out on away goals. Um, look, the team was a classic United team at the time. Schmeichel, Neville, Bruce, Pallister, or John O'Kane played in that one. Uh, Scholes came on, Beckham, Buck, Keane, Sharp, Cole, Giggs, Terry Cook, also made an appearance that night. Uh, the eventual winners of that competition were Bayern Munich. You can check that out on our Instagram stories I did the other day. Um, there's a quick quote from Fergie I found. He said, we lost the game in the first 20 minutes. You go 2-0 two, two down, you never mountains to climb in Europe. They were bad goals to concede because the last thing we said before the match was a clean sheet would win it for us. We knew we'd make enough, we knew we'd make enough chances, but we didn't in the end. So that was Man United out of Europe, the 26th September 1995. But more remembered for Peter Schmeichel's towering header. <laughs> Um, I tell you what, though, for those seventy-eight people that went to the away ground, <laughs> that, that's a good one to mark off your bucket yeah. list, isn't it? You know, you, you know, people who do the ninety-two, and you know, because I've got friends who've gone to some peculiar grounds on on Middlesbrough runs, but you know, but Raw of Volga ground, that's a really like that. You've earned your corn, haven't yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, and I think it's right down there, and I, I really don't know, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but I think it's down in the sort of darkest, deep, darkest depths of Russia. So. Um, it really was a trip, and um, I, I, I think I'm right in this. I, I've seen Andy Mitten, the uh, United yeah. writer, say a few times that um, it's one of those famous games. It's, it's one of it's United's smallest travelling recorded support, one of those where, I mean, these days, it just goes to show, doesn't it? I mean, these, these days, if United played in Russia, they'd probably get about 3,000 locals turning up to follow them, but then it was just a completely different um, a different experience. Unfortunately, I wasn't one of those that went. I was going to European away games then, but... Um, I was obviously put off by one thing or another. I have been to Russia before, uh, since, and it's a very nice place. But uh, back then, when I was what, <clears throat> 10, 11, whatever I would have been back then. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
I didn't go. But I wish I had, because then I would have been able to say that I was one of those 78 it's people. Been the 79th uh, the fan. Um, they're in the yeah. Russian second division now, right to Volgograd, which is I found earlier, because uh, I haven't really he- heard of them uh, since in Europe. That must have been their heyday, looking at their honours list and things like that. So that's where they reside now. Uh, let's move on to 1998, and this is one of the most iconic moments of the 1990s, well, involving someone we haven't actually mentioned, because he's more notorious with probably... The next decade, there's a goal he scored that I'd always want to talk about, but he scored it in 2001. Um, we're talking about Paolo Di Canio, one of my favourite footballers of that era. We're talking about Paul Alcock. It's Joe, it's an incident at the time was so outraged and so much controversy, but now we all kind of laugh at? Yeah, I mean, the, the push. Yes. And, and the major sort of wrestling WWE-type bump that Alcock took, <laughs> you mean. Because it is like, because like he sort of gets shoved. Paolo Di Canio shoves him. And then he sort of realises a split second later what's happened. And then he makes the stumble if you go back and watch it. It's really peculiar. But this was this was front page news. Yeah. This was outrage. How dare he? He's come over here from Italy. How dare he come and sully in our game, touching our referees, blah, 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 blah. And really, you know, you've got to say, you know, now he'd be getting a yellow card for diving, Alcock. Yeah, it's a terrible. He sells worse than the Bella Twins. He really does. It's uh, it's a terrible. Let me just go through the what happened in this sort of melee. So Di Canio pushes Vieira, who was a teammate of his AC Milan in the back. Then Vieira turns. He's pushed forcefully in the chest. Uh, Mike Keogh gets involved. Vieira then stumbles backwards, and he's chased by Richie Humphreys, former guest of the show. Then Keogh, trying to act as a peacemaker, absolutely seriously, catches Di Canio in the mouth of his arm as he separates the war in factions, as they're called on this list that I found. Di Canio then decides to kick Karim with a side foot volley. The duo begins to grapple. While all this is happening, Petit stands in disbelief, hands on hips. Emerson Tom gets in Rafe Parler's grill. Di Canio then attempts to eye gouge on Keown. The pair are separated. Winterburn runs from left back, dodges Petit and confronts Di Canio. The whole situation seems to be okay. And then the big push comes um, from Di Canio. What do you mention, uh, remember, Matthew, about this, uh, this famous day at Hillsborough? Just going back, did you write that account of these uh, incidents, or was that was that? Did you find that somewhere? I found that somewhere. Yeah, I could have had <laughs> the time, but yeah, <laughs> I had visions of you watching it on YouTube and writing uh, a blow by blow account. Um, I I heard about this thanks to the good old fashioned transistor radio. I for some reason I was at Griffin Park, Brentford, on this day watching Brentford against Darlington. That's a good way. It's a good way. Yeah, yeah. I just just used to for some reason, pick random games and go to them. And um, I was... Many, that, that... Sorry, I'm going to interrupt you now. How, yeah. many, how many grounds have you ticked off on the 90s? Uh, I couldn't tell you because I don't know, but it's got to be a good... This is your homework hope... next week. You've got to yeah. do homework next week and come back to me with an answer. I'll let work. you know, but it's got to be... I'd like to think it's a good half. Mm. But then again, are we, are, we counting, are we counting new grounds, old grounds? I yeah. think you can just go to have gone to their home that, ground. That, that yeah, club, to yeah. Borough instead. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, um, do your homework for next week. Yeah, I will. I will because um, think yeah, I'm the twenty. Think I'm yeah. the twenty. I mean, I'd, I'd like to think I was in the yeah pushing forty maybe, but we'll see. I'll let you know. But um, I was definitely no, enough good. about your birthday. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I was at Griffin Park. Used to be a pub on each corner. I'm not sure there is anymore. Yeah, I think two is. I thought two of them shut down, yeah. but. Uh, um, and they're moving too, aren't they? Soon, yeah, apparently. Because um, it's a really good old-fashioned yeah, yeah. Don't get, don't get me still terracing. Yeah, it's still yeah. terraced. Yeah, that's where I was. I was in that lower terrace uh, near Wayne. Because whenever I go, used to ground hop, 
you, you always have to go in the away end for some reason. I still do it now. If I go to a game, I think oh, I'll go in the away end. Um, going back to new grounds, by the way, I hate them, and I blame Middlesbrough solely for you <laughs> staying. <laughs> All right. Well, the, the Borough Ground was the first ground since I think Norwich in the since Carroll Road in the fifties. I think I might be wrong on that, but yeah. Well, no, I mean that's it. <laughs> let, let, let's let's not. Let's not blame Middlesbrough for the team. Well, I'm going to... No, you know, let's close that, that can of worms and, and continue with this uh, one, shall we? So, anyway, I was at Middlesbrough... Uh, well, not Middlesbrough. I wouldn't go to Middlesbrough because it's a new, tacky new ground. So, uh, was it Griffith Park? Park, Matthew? I didn't. You know what? I didn't. Wow. Um, no, you never used to give that much allocation to a way pad. You used to give about... All oh, right, so now this is our fault as yeah. well. Yeah, <laughs> the, ground, the old ground was your fault and now all new grounds are your fault as well. Um, anyway, back to Paul Alcott. I was in that away end watching Brentford beat Darlington 3 0. Darlington had. This David is just Fre- against the North East today. Isn't no, this not a Teesside issue? No, no, oh, no. Oh, Middlesbrough's no, no. rubbish. Oh, Darlington, the betting team. I never said that. Yeah, you, you're accusing me of being like uh, the moose of talk sport here. No. Um, <laughs> no one wants to be the moose. No. Um, yeah, I, it was that game. David Priest was in goal for Darlington, the new, the now, uh, the pundit, well-renowned well yeah. goalkeeping pundit. And um, yeah, word came through on the good old-fashioned transistor radio, as it did back then, because no one had any other way of communicating with each other, really. And uh, someone said, oh yeah, the, the Canio's gone mad, he's pushed the ref, and uh, I can't remember what his exact words were, but the word got round the uh, 80 or 90 Darlington fans in the away end that something terrible had happened at the... Uh, at the Sheffield Wednesday Arsenal game, and um, yeah, we probably didn't see it until I got back. I think we went out in London that night for a, well, it probably was for my birthday because it was this time of year, and uh, yeah, I didn't see it probably till the next day. And um, I think it was you, you say everyone laughs about it now. I think if it did happen now, I think there would be a heck of a, a fallout from it, don't you? I think I, I think, it, I think it kind would. of got away with it. I think initially yeah. there would, and initially there was then. He you know he was fined ten thousand pound and banned for eleven games, and it pretty much ended his. Sheffield Wednesday career, didn't it, at that point? He only played a couple more times, then left to West Ham in the January. So, I think, yeah, I think there would be initially. I just think in time, as Joe said, the, th- the fall from Paul Alcock is so comedic. I mean, to Canio and Sells, he says, it wasn't a violent gesture. It was a gesture of disappointment, that was all. I could push my eight-year-old daughter that way and she wouldn't fall over. It yeah. certainly looked no, bizarre. I, yeah, I agree with him. And it was a little bit dramatic. But I'm just thinking that the stink that that's kicked up now the way any footballer does anything. I mean, yeah. you remember Rooney, Rooney getting that three-game ban for swearing at the camera and all these kind of things, which are, you know, all rightly so. But I just think if a modern-day player now in the Premier League pushed a ref and he fell over, I think that'd be all kinds of, of an outcry because everyone just can't wait to uh, slag off footballers, basically. But, um, but, yeah, but isn't it so... funny because, you know, obviously we had this business in... Um, Italy last week with Douglas Costa spitting in uh, yeah. Federico Di Francesco's is that his name? Yeah. Uh, mouth. You can tell. You can tell he worked for. Uh, who was it again? He worked for. Oh yeah, <laughs> Quest. <laughs> yeah, Quest. Yeah. Sorry, go on. Go on, Joe. Uh, yeah, and he only got a four-game ban for that. And yet I know. In this country, he got eleven games for a. Well, this is. I'm going I'm to get a yellow card for this. We're not maybe keeping it nineties, but. The 74 Charity Shield, class first game for Leeds and all that. The, the, the fight between Bremner oh, and Keegan. Keegan yeah. they, both, they both got 11 game banned for that. Um, He's know, my best player. <laughs> <laughs> 11 games for, a, you know, basically a. Well, Keegan, he did, he did land one on uh, 
I don't think it was even Bremner. He punched. He, he was getting kicked all over the park yeah, he, yeah. during the game and he reacted. And they both got 11 games, which is incredible. But nothing to do with this you conversation. See, obviously, I think, are we going back to own goals and gaffes? Or it might be another, it might be one of the other. What was the other Danny Baker video? Own oh. goals and gaffes. There was Freaky a couple, football or something. Yeah, there was a couple later on, wasn't there? The Ogo and Gaffs is the famous first one, but yeah, I can't remember the... Well, it, on one of them, it's got... Uh, they get somebody in a lip read what Kevin Keegan says, and Danny Baker does an impression of Keegan, which is very funny. Oh, come off me, Bob, man! I've been in twice! So it's a bit like Donald <laughs> and Davey Stott, you know? Uh, but yeah, and, and then obviously... And, and the disciplinary hearing made famous in The Damned United. Of yes. Michael Finney and his... Uh, it's good Brian Clough, Middlesbrough accent. Great. Yeah. Uh, Bright Hammerings, was that the one it was on? Danny Baker? I can't remember. Yeah, there's freaky there's... football. Freaky Fre- football is the one or something like that. Yeah, there's one with freaky football. Yeah, there's own goal and gaffes. I think it might be that one. Own goals and gaffes too. Right Hammerings and then Danny Baker's freaky football. Oh, who and whose season was it anyway? God, there was loads of those Danny Baker videos, weren't they? We were going to do one on Own Girls and Gas uh, at some point, but yeah. Um, I always remember the Nigel Winterburn bit where he seems to go up to the Palais de Canio all guns blazing, spitting, and then for some reason looks like he's been confronted by a haunted house or a ghost or something. <laughs> Completely <laughs> shits his pants, basically, and then just sort of We're runs away. It, well, if it wasn't for that yeah. It's, just, it's like he, he really, all this, when you go up to school bully and you're like, yeah, 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 and then you realise who you're. You're going against, and you've got to go. Actually, no, I'm going to run away and stuff. I mean, Canio was a you know passionate man. He, he nearly hit the deck. Yeah, he, he snapped his head back so quickly. <laughs> he nearly went over as quickly as Alcock did. Yeah, I don't know because you know I said Canio's not. He, he wasn't a hard man. He was a very passionate footballer and very skillful footballer. But yeah, Winterburn did really. Did. I, I think Nigel Winterburn had um, a bit of a reputation for that because from a United point of view, I remember um, Brian McClare missing a penalty in the last minute at Highbury in an FA Cup game in 1988. And McClare blazed it over the bar and Winterburn went straight up in McClare's face doing something very similar. And um, there's a classic picture of them sort of squaring up to each other. And they claim that that's what brought about the uh, famous the 90, uh, yeah. old, brawl of Old yeah, Trafford, which yeah. I'm sure we will talk about in a few weeks. Because again, Winterburn was winding up McClare. And if you look at the, the replay of that brawl, it's those two that... Uh, that it's basically Winterburn's on the floor and McClare's kicking the ball, basically kicking Winterburn. And then it all kicks off. And I think it all stems back to uh, Winterburn, but basically winded up my old mate, Brian McClare. So, uh, so what no. you're saying is that Nigel Winterburn is a massive shit shit house. I'm just putting two and two together. I'm just thinking that he, uh, he's, he's, he's your considered invo- opinion. As a, he's as been a involved. Yeah. Journalist. He's been involved in a few incidents and it's usually, it usually involves him, Getting into his face. I, yeah. I'll find that picture of him and McClare because yeah. I mean that day was horrendous for me. We, McClare blazed that uh, penalty over in the last minute. I've never forgiven him for it. And um, uh, but yeah, for for Winterburn to get in his face was completely uncalled for. And yeah. I wish Decani had hit him to be honest. <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a great quote from uh, from Mr. Mr. Alcock, the referee. He did sort of you know he was one of the game's big referees at the time. He said, the Italian threw the toys out of the pram. It looked silly at the time. I was just off balance. I ended up being the rogue in the whole thing. I had TV crews outside my house when I got home that night with my four-year-old son asking me to get the Queen to send them away. There was so much written about it, but nobody ever spoke to me about it. I've got Bill Clinton to thank, really, because his affair with Monica Lewinsky took me off the front pages. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a sentence in the comparison I didn't think I'd ever get today. Yeah, yeah, how, did the, how did the Queen get involved? I don't know. <laughs> Bill Clinton and the not Queen. As when, not as bad as when Richard Bradley was interviewing Bill Clinton and he compared him 
Richard mainly compared himself getting arrested for allegedly stealing sausages and wine from the Tesco to Bill Clinton getting impeached for having an affair in, uh, while he was in office. Oh dear. <laughs> I, once, I once had a tinkle next to Richard Bacon at an award day. Richard Bacon? Yeah. Obviously, we were about Richard Madeley, I said. I know, just it reminded me when you said Richard Madeley. I, I thought All Richard right, Bacon so was now saying. we're going to play a game called Famous Richards We Have Met. <laughs> we've, <laughs> had a, we've had a tinkle next to <laughs> I've had a week next to Jamie Thigston. Oh, okay. He's tall yeah. as well. He's very tall, yes. Yeah, he's very, very tall. Very tall indeed. He probably looked down on a... you and saw some more than he probably wanted to. <laughs> I've had tall. a week next to Joe Royal. Joe Royal? Oh, really? Yeah. Uh-huh. Joe I Royal, he, yeah. I bet, I, bet, I bet he was a bit of a lad. What are you, that... what are you accusing me of looking at? <laughs> I oh, would you... have had a glance. Oh, oh, yeah, I would have had a look, yeah. Oh, no, well, yeah. <laughs> I've, uh, also had a, I've also had a wee next to the former United chairman, Martin Edwards, as well. Mm-hmm. All right, OK. Yeah. The same yeah. Martin Edwards who, on that video, just talks about how great he is. For... Yeah. Oh, yeah, the uh, United Info, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. There's, there's a good he hashtag. talks about how wonderful. He talks about his dad getting the bloody... <laughs> buying into United on the week of the Munich air crash, like in the immediate aftermath of it. <laughs> and then he talks about how great and philanthropic he's been to Manchester United. It's, it might be one of my favourite bits in that video, that. Still classic. You should watch that today as a birthday treat, Matthew. Um, yeah, right. we should I would, if I had a VHS player, I would. <laughs> Anyone on Twitter, if you've, who you've had a pee next to, anyone 90s footballer. I remember being... Barry Ferguson is another one I've had. He's not very 90s, obviously, he's later. But I had a wee next to him in campus in Glasgow, which is a notorious student. Um, it's open on Christmas Day, which always makes me laugh. Um, so, yeah, I'm trying to think of anyone else I've had a wee next to. But, yeah, they, tell us on Twitter, at AK90s, if you've had a wee next to someone famous. Um, that could be a thing. <laughs> we could start a thing. No, um, it's good. I like it. I like it too. Yeah, famous rich. I would have said, Joe. Joe, you've got a lot of friends in high places, or you have had. You must have had a wee next to loads of famous people, haven't you? Like maybe. Well, that's that, that's that's the only one I can think of. Jamie thinks not the top of my head, but uh, probably probably Simon at some point. Did, did you and Robbie never go for a wee together? Did you and Sorry? Robbie? Did you and Robbie Williams never go for a wee together? No, nah, I never did that. I never did that. No, I would have been. I would have been really paranoid with that one. I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I tell you, who, I tell you who, right? This is this is quite funny. I was when I was working at ITV and they were filming um, Upstart Crow. You know that on BBC Two. Yeah. And filming that in ITV studios at the South Bank, and I'm stood having a piss, and in walks um, David Mitchell. But he's in full Shakespearean garb, oh. dressed as Shakespeare. <laughs> so I just stood and I went, I went, I wasn't really expecting this. And he looked at me inside and he went, oh, just ignore it and think of England. I went, well, you're the living embodiment of it. Yeah, that's, yeah, you'd be hard to beat that, pissing next to William Shakespeare, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, or, you know, David Mitchell dressed as William Shakespeare. Yeah, yeah I mean, complete with the skull cap and everything. It was, uh, <laughs> It was. He was wearing like doublet and hose, you know. It was really bizarre. That is. That's, that's brilliant. Um, what are we talking about? Canio. We've gone off on a tangent again. Very strange. Canio Paul. Well, well, actually, how ironic we're talking about Paul Alcock. Yes, very good. <laughs> um, he's on the ball. He's on the ball. Um, but yeah, as I said, he. That was the end, really, for Palace County at Sheffield Wednesday. Forty-eight games, seventeen goals. Uh, went on to West Ham. Um, I re- I mean, let's quickly talk about that goal because while we can talk about Canio, we can. We're allowed to, even though it was the next decade. Um, that goal at Wimbledon, Upton Park, one of the goals of the decade, Matthew, the next no, decade? I think, no, I think that was completely overrated, that goal. What? Yeah, because I don't know why he had to jump, because he wasn't, uh, it, the ball was coming to him anyway, so I don't know why he had to sort of jump and do that scissor motion. I, I really never understood like that. that. 
Yeah, but he didn't need to do it. That's wow. You don't, yes. you don't need to. You're still going to make it look good. Joe, are you, are yeah, you the same? What camp are you in? Oh, I know. I like it. I think it's good. But it is one of those famous, you know, Andy's great cliche goals. Yeah. I think I think it's the take a bow, son. Take a bow, son. Yeah, he's a take a bow goal. Andy, Andy Gray, you know, full of full of cliches and stupidity and sexism by all accounts. Yeah, that's uh, definitely Andy Gray. Great, think, great point. Well, that's on the record, there. isn't it? We we can say that. The yeah. Oh God, yeah. Sexist pigs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we know he says that. I'm not even going to say allegedly. So there we go. No, um, no, we know he, we know he says yeah. horrible things. Let's just hope no one's recording our Christmas night out, eh? Yeah, maybe we should. Maybe let's that should be the right. episode. Let's hope, no, let's hope nobody's been looking at our WhatsApp group this yes. week. <laughs> the things that's been discussed yeah. on there. Yeah, we would definitely very, we'd, we'd very be sure. outlawed. We'd be sent back to the nineties if they saw that. Um, definitely. Decanio's Joel strikes me as someone that could have maybe should have played for Middlesbrough. He, he seems that kind of player that. Well, we got the other one. Hang on a minute. What are you saying there? What a, what a no, I, I know what he means. He means these sort of flash players. Yeah. who probably shouldn't have been at the club. <laughs> who were shot totally. Yeah. No, we got the other one. We got Benito Carbone. You did, yes. Yeah. And because he it sort of came post Janino's first run I think mm. was it yeah we were in the Premier League and he wore the number 10 for us so no we, we got Carbone okay. um, right, but yeah I understand what you mean with Di yeah. but being very successful at Celtic haven't he as yeah, well he Di Canio yeah. but and Jeff, then th- I always remember Sheffield Wednesday at the time both when they signed Di Canio and Carbone they did these photo shoots with the both of them eating pasta Yes, I remember that. Yeah, no, it, was a, it was a pizza. Was it, it pizza? Was I think I think the cameo was pizza, a... uh, uh, pasta, and I think Carboni may have been pizza. But either or, I mean, it's so cliche and so terribly stereotypical of, a, of so like, oh yeah, give him his Italian, give him a pizza or some pasta. But yeah, I, I mean, bet... and it's not like it's the 1960s. No, exactly. You know, you think somebody would have had a better idea yeah. than than that? How this do we is... represent Italy? Oh. Although this is coming from a man who, even though he had a frozen pizza in his freezer, still ordered a takeaway pizza. Yeah, I was, I was glad I did. It was nice yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the place where I get the place where I order my pizzas from, they send you two pizzas, so you have one at the time and then you have one in the morning. Well, can't go wrong with that. Cold pizza in the morning, you, big fan. Do you pay for the two of them or do they just give you that? One? It's like two for the price of one all the oh, time. Class, really. Yeah, they don't. Course. They don't deliver to L one five BS by any chance. No, no, no. It's uh, oh. pronto, pronto pizza. Pronto, North London, and and the good, and they do turn up pronto as well. So that's good. It makes me think, though. You think of how stupid these like signing things have got. You think of uh, Santi Cazorla. I don't know if you saw that when he signed for Villarreal. He was in that magic tank and he came in through like steam and stuff. And you see all the online social ones. Maybe Sheffield Wednesday are a little bit ahead of their time. You know, thinking, no, well, let's unveil them with some pizza, maybe. Unveiling videos are always horrible. Yeah. Oh, they're yeah. terrible. They're terrible. Yeah. There's nothing there wrong. There was a terrible one when we sold, uh, what's he called? I can't even remember his name. And this is about two seasons ago. The striker who we got, who used to play for Manchester City, who came to us and we got, he's got the Bexic task. What's he called? This Negredo. Oh, yes. When yeah. we got rid of, and they made this like mini feature film of like all the, Besiktas players texting uh, him. And yeah, him. yeah. With Pepe was in it, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm su- yeah. I'm surprised you've never been involved in one of those, Joe, being a social media mogul. That no, I've never been involved in anything like that. I've never worked for a club. But no, I think, you know, we've got Bristol City to blame for a lot oh, of this sort of stuff. Last we're season, going back, yeah. yeah. Going back to Bristol, you know. But I think they were, they were quite funny. But now everybody's kind of lifted them those yeah. gold celebrations the gold ones yeah, yeah. things yeah, yeah yeah the unveiling there's nothing wrong with a player holding a shirt that's that's all it's the match excitement that I need I just need to see the player with the shirt or the scarf quite happy 
Um, I'm trying to think what was probably the most the three most elaborate ones at Borough was Ravenelli in the new kits, the one that you like, the white one with the yeah yeah, the cross, never won in. Janino the first time when he he came on a Tuesday morning and attracted a a crowd of about five thousand, I think. And then the same for Alves, who ended up failing with. Hang on a minute, hang on a minute. You've forgotten, you've forgotten a famous classic borough one there that we've spoken Robson, about. Robson, Robson, Brian Robson. Yeah. Robson, yeah. yeah. Robson in the shorts, yeah. yeah. Short suit combination. I was, <laughs> I was very, I was working at Kick Magazine when you did Alves, and I remember they had Brazilian ladies wearing very little for Avanti. Yeah, Alves. Sambo women. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we couldn't, we couldn't use that image in in Kick because we thought it was a bit risque for the kids, but. Yeah, I'd see yeah. remember that. Just send it to us on that WhatsApp group. I will, actually. yeah. Would, oh, yeah. There's, better Im- yeah. there's better images available than that, definitely. Everyone everyone who's listening, if you want to know the standard of conversation on the WhatsApp group, our friend Sid Lambert castigated us for not saying the words Erica Elnia. <laughs> That's all you need to know. I'm not going any further into it. Erica Elnia, under siege, the cake scene. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, still no Yasmin Blade. Anyway, that's talk uh, 30th of December 1998. Um, a little bit apt given what happened uh, on the other side of North London at the moment where Tottenham are obviously still playing at Wembley or the MK Dons or wherever they're not playing at the moment. But they're not definitely not playing at White Hart Lane. They are playing their games at Wembley. And this was the first time we saw that really when Arsenal decided they were going to play their Champions League games at Wembley Stadium. This came on the back where they tried to try to buy the stadium in the spring of 1998 for £100 million. Uh, that didn't happen. So when they qualified the Champions League, their 38,500 capacity was reduced to 35, thanks to the demands for UEFA and the board and the logos and all the sponsored people that need to sit down somewhere. Um, so it was decided between Wenger and David Dean that they would move their games to Wembley. It's often seen, Matthew, as a, as a very bad decision. They only won one game per season there um didn't work out for Arsenal Wembley did it no it doesn't it doesn't tend to really does it for anybody um trying this kind of experiment I mean it make it does make perfect sense I mean it's a controversial point and one that is a conversation for another day but it does make you wonder if clubs will ever decide to share stadiums I mean it obviously isn't going to happen now because of the likes of because of Middlesbrough come along and, and made everyone move to these new brand spanking new stadiums. That's not going to happen now. But it just makes you wonder whether it's, in a hundred years' time, do you think people are going to be sat doing a podcast talking about Tottenham and Arsenal sharing a stadium or United and City? Because yeah. it does it does make sort of perfect sense, doesn't it, in everything but but a footballing. I think perspective. If they see Milan and Inter Milan can do, do it, it, yeah, then yeah, everyone I can do it. I don't, you know what? I don't think it's that. But it, it, it annoys me that people turn their nose up at it so much because it's really not as a big a deal as I think people like. You know, I mean, we're getting games kicking off at eleven o'clock in the morning for uh, you know overseas TV. You're getting things. Everything's changed so much that people would have turned their nose up at, and probably rightly so. But the fact that people would be absolutely disgusted that two teams in a city can play in one ground, I think, well, that's, there's worse things that can happen. Because mm. it's and Liverpool. That really is, isn't one of them. Liverpool's certainly one of them that's been muted before, hasn't it, with Everton and Liverpool sharing? Yeah, I'd tell you, if, if that had happened 10 years ago, I bet you now it, it, people wouldn't even give it a second thought. Mm. I mean, I really just don't see it. If people are prepared to move to new grounds, which they are because of Middlesbrough, um, <laughs> then. then um, what is it about Middlesbrough? The fact that it's in the middle of nowhere or the fact that the, the way it looks and built? What, the stadium? Yeah, I just wonder why Matthew's The stadium's problem. in the middle of nowhere. No, I, don't, I just don't yeah, like stadium, new yeah. stadiums. 
I think no, no, Brown's no. in the middle of nowhere. Have you ever been to Reading? Yeah, and that's yeah, what I mean. That's Redding. what I don't like about Reading. Reading yeah. is like you've got to go to like this industrial estate in the middle of bloody nowhere. Oh, yeah, God, but that's Redding. because that's because Middlesbrough started it, and everyone thought, <laughs> oh, we better we better do the same thing. Bolton's Coventry is in the middle of in- yeah. industrial yeah. estate as Bolton well. Bolton as well. Yeah, yeah. I I'm, I completely can't stand new stadiums, and Joe, you'll appreciate this because you used to live next door to. Oh, that was part, didn't you? So, and you can't beat that feeling of going to a, a stadium. I mean, if I go here, if I go to Goodison or, or Anfield, I love it because you can, you know, you can walk. I can, there's about four pubs I can have a pint before the game there, which undoubtedly is the highlight of my day because I end up probably just staying in the pub anyway and watching it on the TV. But <laughs> you can't, you can't do that at places like Reading or Derby or Coventry. And um, but, like I said, the. The gloves are off now. The damage is, you know, Pandora's box is open, all those kind of cliches. So if people are going to move, teams are going to move to these new stadiums, then why not just to hell with it and share a stadium? Mm, yeah, no, it's, it's a good point. It's funny you mentioned this point, actually, because I, I was at Leicester yesterday. Um, it's the first time I've been to the King Power. Um, and I'm not a fan, like you, yeah, not a fan of um, new stadiums, mainly because I don't like them being in the middle of nowhere. Obviously, at QPR, we're in the middle of the, the of Shepherd's Bush and Goodison Park's one of my favourites. That's in the middle. But Leicester's new ground is in the middle of the city, so you can still do go to the pubs. It, and even though it's a massive new ground, I quite like. Well, there's it. a couple. There's a couple of examples. I mean, Cardiff, the Millennium Stadium's yeah. like that, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, Newcastle's obviously not a new ground, but it's in the middle of the city. But yeah. in terms of new purpose-built stadiums, there are very few that are. In the middle of the cities for yeah. that very, it's an yeah. obvious reason, I suppose. Mm. But, um, but no, I just think case yeah, for the defense, if, Joel. Do you like the riverside being where it is situated or, or, or not? Um, I think we've been let down in terms of what was going to happen around, yeah, the ground. We were told that it was going to be all like a tall ship center and there was going to be shopping and offices and restaurants and blah 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 blah. And none of it's come. I think there's a, co- there's a college up the road and there's a um. There's, there's a college up the road and there's a, I think the Evening Gazette have offices there now and there's like a little office block and um, there's a pub and a KFC and that's essentially it and that's the disappointing thing. I don't mind where it is, it's just the rest of the uh, development has let us down. The, the stadium was meant to be a beacon for everything else to come and that just hasn't happened and why it hasn't happened is just another story really. All right. Anyway, getting back to Arsenal, but that was a good. Uh, it was a good point. Um, the games they had. So, ninety eight, ninety nine season, they beat Panathinaikos, drew with Dino Kiev, and and beat uh, lost to Lons. And then the next season, the nineteen ninety eight, two thousand season, they beat AK Athens. Davos Sucre on the score sheet there. Uh, they lost to Barcelona and they lost to uh, Fiorentina with a famous Batistuta goal. Um, we've all agreed, Joel, that it didn't work. Do you remember how badly this was? Do you remember those games? I, mean, I remember the Batistuta game. They really were the second best. Was Wembley to blame? Um, there must be something within people's mindset. when It will feel like an away game. I think, yeah. I think Tottenham last year was a different story because they were there every week and everybody's going, oh, they're going to struggle with that. And they didn't. They did very well because I think they, they essentially, it was their home ground. Yeah. So, but when you're going there, you're playing one set of home games at, uh, at Highbury at the time and then, another, and then another set of home games somewhere else. That's going to put you at a disadvantage, I think, because essentially, you know, the crowd are going to be unsettled because they're not in their regular places with their regular familiar faces yeah. all around them. You know, it's, so that's going to... And Wembley's a notoriously hard place to get a decent atmosphere oh, going. especially the old Wembley as well. Yeah, the old Wembley. Maybe the new one's a bit, a little bit better, but the old Wembley, uh, 
you know, so I think I think there's a combination of things. I think the players are going to be unsettled because it's not their ground. I think that the fans you're gonna you're gonna split them up. The singing section's going to be. See, that's um, what I was going to say. Like, where, how do you decide? Because every ground has a certain section that sings more than any other. So, do it. How does that happen? Well, I mean, going back, go back to Bury. You know, it's probably taken twenty years, which the, the, the club wanted the North Stand to be the singing section, and and then. It's only been in sort of the last five, six years that it's kind of migrated and the South Sand is where all the singing yeah. is. I, I was going to ask you, Joe, as somebody, as the only person really out of the three of us that's followed a club that have moved stadiums, how long do you think it took everybody, the team, the, the fans, uh, everyone we, to we, adjust? Uh, I think we I think we landed, uh, we, we landed running. I, th- I think yeah. that everybody was so excited about it. It was something that everybody wanted. Uh, there wasn't really particularly many tears shed to leave Essen Park. Everybody understood, and I think the fact that we played Chelsea in the first game there, we won two. I think it was, I think it was instant to be honest. But mm. we've talked to Sid about this, and obviously, yeah. West Ham are having massive problems at um, at the London Stadium, and 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 some do. I think it depends. I think for a, for an Arsenal or perhaps a Tottenham, it might be a, a little bit, even though you know Tottenham, it's essentially the same place. It's just a, a new stadium. Um, but I think for. For those sorts of clubs that, for us, it represented a new dawn, I think, and everybody was excited and, and happy about it and wanted to do it. And it sort of, you know, there seemed to be a good atmosphere straight away at our place and the players loved it. It was all just this big, exciting... Yeah, uh, it did seem to tie in. It did seem to tie in with the sort of golden era for the club, didn't it? Which, yeah. you know, I don't know whether yeah, that's coincidence out the ground, so... No. Mm. no. Well, so maybe... Maybe I'll take it all back. No, no I still blame. <laughs> well, it's, <laughs> it's definitely an interesting conversation. I, um, I think. I think. In fact, just to defend myself for slagging off Middlesbrough, I don't blame Middlesbrough for doing it because it seems to work in their favour. It just seems to be that since they did it, everyone seems to now think, "Oh, we should be doing this." And there are some terrible examples. I mean, Coventry. Coventry yeah, Coventry. I mean, obvious, Coventry. The club seems to have gone into decline. That this, this, it's just. I don't know how how it's worked. In, well, it hasn't worked in their favour. I mean, they don't even own the ground, do no. they? So, no. So um, the first game. Well, the one, that, I mean, the the one um, that's close to home for me, and we've already mentioned, is Darlington. Uh, yeah. It, it sort of went. Oh, you know, the Reynolds Arena and that's all still that. the, 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 don't the there's a rugby club playing there now, don't they? I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Used, it's used for certain things. But, I mean, it's a twenty. 20,000 stadium basically sat there doing it's nothing. It's never going to be able to support that, and that's just somebody's arrogance. Well, Boyd. yeah, that's and anyone that knows anything about the story of George Reynolds would t- mm. shouldn't be surprised. I, mean, I was watching the lighter shop now, a bit shop. Really? Because yeah, I was watching a, yeah, I, yeah. I was watching it's a lot of Darlington back then, and it was quite an interesting story because I mean, it, it, nearly, it nearly ruined the club. Yeah, indeed. Oh yeah. God, yeah. I mean, they're still down in Division Z, or you know, something you well, can go Northern a, League or something. Officially, yeah, they've National, National League North, but, yeah. Yeah. They had to reform, didn't they? But I think that's, I mean, I'm not, I'm tongue in cheek with the whole Middlesbrough thing, but I mean, somebody like George Reynolds probably came along and thought, right, what I need to do is, if I'm taking over a football club, A, build a new purpose built stadium. And I don't think it's always as clear cut as that. I think no, it should they happen. Shouldn't have, they shouldn't have left uh, no. No, I think it should happen for the right reasons for, and for sort of natural, organic reasons rather than just, right, we're going to do it and just to hell with it because it, it, it really ruined a. A great football club, and it's good to see them starting to come back. I know they're a long way from it, but um, but uh, yeah, it's just so all right. Not all middles was full, fair enough. <laughs> uh, well, just no, just finally on right, like in, in in sort of Middlesbrough, I think Stoke City, I think um, you know Bolton Wanderers, I think those sort of clubs needed to move from. 
their old brands to sort of embrace what was what was going to come and to help springboard the success. I think in in teams like you know you said Coventry Darlington obviously you sort of like you know well why did you have to do that you know but it's it's yeah it's almost it's almost sort of like keeping up with the Joneses isn't yeah. it sort of like oh well everyone's yeah, doing it so we've got to do smaller. it. Yeah. We played the first game at the Rico Arena. We lost 3 0 to Coventry. Dominic Shimin had an absolute nightmare that day, but um, they haven't been much better for Coventry since. Going back to Arsenal and finishing this point off, uh, they were back at Highbury the following season where they won all three group games and topped their group for the first time in three years. So it kind of says it all that, you know, home comforts is where it's at, and uh, that's what they should have stayed with, even though they were, that second season it was a very, very hard group uh well thank you very much chaps um we weren't there weren't as many tangents today but some interesting ones stadiums and people we peed next to i think they'll be the highlights um matthew happy birthday to you where can people wish you a happy birthday on the twitters uh, oh i thought i was going to say in about half an hour time in randall's tavern but um... <laughs> well that's where we'll be we'll get out as soon as possible um be fair, you'll still be there till about Monday morning. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, me and, me and Roy Evans propping up the bar. Um, at Matthew J. Christ on Twitter. Mm. And Joel, where can people talk to you about Top of the Pops? Because I saw you tweeting about it again this week. Yeah, it was on last night. It was a good one last night. Sledgehammer was on by Peter Gabriel. Rock Me Amadeus was number one. Oh, God. So that was good. Uh, yeah, it was a good one last night. Mm. Um, so what year are we still in? 86? Eighty-six. Yeah, they've yeah. just changed the theme tune. The theme tune's gone from "Yellow Pearl" by Thin Lizzy to being "The Wizard" by Paul Hardcastle right. for about five years. Yeah. I tell you what, after um, after he left Chelsea, that Falco never really did anything better than really? uh, yeah. Rock Me Amadeus. Yeah. Got it at the end that one, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Twitter, Joel Baby Herc. Let's get where we are. You know, that's the most important. Thing. Yeah, there we go. And Instagram as well, the old gram. Yeah, the old gram. Uh, you can follow the show at AK90s on Twitter and on uh, Instagram. Yeah, at AK90s Pod. Um, for myself at Ashrose I can even say my own thing at Ashrose UK on both them. But follow the show; it's more important. And give us a five star rating and review on iTunes. Share, subscribe, all that nonsense. We'll be back next week talking more nineties football. But until then, keep it nineties. <laughs>